Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is the review show. Neil Atkinson hosting this one after Crystal Palace away, joined by Stu Wright and Sean Rogers. To pick the bones out of it, it was all exuberance yesterday. But today, uh, in the cold light of day, we can talk about the performance a little bit differently and we'll start off, as we always do, with the approaches. Um, there's a couple of things, Sean, and it comes in a little bit in his in his post-match chat, manager. Uh, first and foremost, things around the Canate slash concert decision feels like the Liverpool manager being protective on one hand. Uh, but on the other hand, he does ask a couple to go again, which may be a little bit of a surprise. But there's something else in the post-match where he refers to this idea that he felt Palace would be short of confidence and he didn't like what he saw from Liverpool for 75 minutes. And the idea maybe that he was thinking, not just the idea of game state, but the state of Crystal Palace, that was in his thinking around the selection, I think is interesting. And then the fact that he doesn't get the results or the one more accurate, the performance that he wants us, uh, from the outset of the game, I think is also interesting. Yes, I think the game on Thursday night in the Europa League looms much la- larger for Klopp than you may think, because he's going to be that desperate to leave all his big players out of that fixture. He obviously can't then have a balance of the Europa League squad that he wants to use, get knocks and injuries and unavailability, because it then increases the pressure of having to go to somebody, maybe even a Sabozalai, and say, you know that one that I said you didn't have to fly for? I literally need, I can't put the numbers on the pitch now. So I do think that things like Ben Doak being an example, Kwanzaa, even to an extent, Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones, I think he's had in his mind. I know what my United team is to a degree. I know pretty much what my Palace team is, and I really need people ready and fit for that Thursday night. So if we didn't have a game on Thursday night, he might have tweaked things a little bit for this fixture, perhaps in terms of selection, but I really think he's got that in the back of his mind in terms of how important to this room and the club to you know, be able to rotate heavily for that game. Coming into this one, I think on the centre-back selection, the Palace don't have the same sort of aerial threat as, say, the Sheffield United might pose you. And therefore, you also think that they're going to be quite passive, drop off, part of us, for want of a better phrase. And therefore, Quance has been really good on the ball. He's not let anyone down or look really promising. Uh, they'll be keen to have a look at him uh, to make sure that they feel that they've got enough cover at centre-back. I know... All of us probably would love to see Liverpool bring a centre-back in in January. I suspect they won't, especially if they believe that Quant is good enough to continue the trajectory that he's on. So I think they think, well, we're going to have to deal with counter-attacks. Quant has shown he's more than adept at doing that, but he's good on the ball and we're not going to lose anything there. And Canati, since coming back in, they've got to wrap him up in cotton wool, but he hasn't looked as good on the ball either. So... I think he's in bad form, Sean. I think there's. I think you know we've talked. I think we talk with. It's interesting players where we do and don't talk about form. I think there's just a bit of a thing with Canate where I th- I think they don't think he's in great form. No, I think I think physically they've got to get him back from the international break and the injury aerially and in terms of his battles, he's doing phenomenally well. But you know we'll come on to it on the deck. He's not doing that well. He's looking a bit rash at times. I thought he had a really poor period when he comes on the pitch in terms of just he, he's he's got a lot more experience now than the most, especially centre-backs at his age. 
and he was giving away rash free kicks constantly. It, it just seemed a bit too on top when calmness was probably required really in that in that spell for him. So I completely get that area of the selection. You're dead right in terms of wanting to go again. You've got the McAllister knock and the other and the other aspects there. He's obviously picking three from four. Gapo had got the you know the cane and for want of a better phrase against Sheffield United whilst he got a chance to not get 19 Chevron. So highly predictable what they were going to do. I think with the time and turnaround, he hasn't got time on the training pitch to have a look at anything else. And then I, I, I think he would be quite keen soon to have a look at more of a four-four-two type shape. It's interesting that when things have started going wrong, there's certain things that he's starting to do now, uh, which are obviously not at the back of his mind anymore. E.g., bringing Gomez on, moving Trent into midfield, in particular going to like a four-four-two using Cody Gapo and wide areas. It's a shame for him because Joff is a huge miss at periods like this. I think when you've got a dog games and they're going to be scrappy and you need to be ruthless, he's an absolute massive loss in them kind of periods. And like he says, this is he's going to be really frustrated, I think, because this is where peak Man City come here and know that Crystal Palace just need putting out the misery. First 15, 20 minutes, dominate the ball in their half, go one the up. They all feel sorry for themselves and you can cruise it at that point. And the issue for Liverpool is that the first five minutes, Simakas kills everything without getting on his back too much. There's, he gets the ball in a great area to hit Diaz and get on the overlap as a silly shot. Then we've loaded the box. He doesn't put the cross in. He cuts inside. Then he plays Gavin Birch out of play. And what could have been a really good first five minutes for Liverpool becomes really scrappy. And it just goes downhill from there. And you see Crystal Palace gain a lot of confidence. Crowds start getting up. They start pressing a little bit more. And the first half just unravels really badly for Liverpool. And I think something they are going to have to have a look at is when we played Notts Forest at home and Aston Villa at home, the flexibility of the system has been a massive strength for this Liverpool side. But there's a few things creeping in now that I think you've got a bit of the perfect storm where I think the structure they probably need to look at a little bit. But there's just players not playing very well. It doesn't matter what structure you're going to use. Mm. If players aren't going to play well, they're just not going to play well. But I do think that then means that you rely on the structure a bit more to be solid and to help the players. And I think in recent games, Simicast is they're not putting Simicast in a role that is anything of anything. And they're not having him as a third centre back and say, we'll build out as a three and you stay there. And he's not going dead high and wide. Is if he's in line with the front line and saying, look, we want you to help us penetrate and get in there. He's he's getting a bit lost and I think that contributes to the left side not functioning that well and I think on the right hand side having Trent to Bosley and Salah having so much freedom has been a positive when that's really clicking but in recent weeks Sabozlai maybe the intensity of things has just led to a bit of a drop off in form and the right hand side isn't quite functioning in, in quite the same way and when you've got a team that want to compact the middle of the park we lacked width massively yesterday and I know people don't want to see it because you, you, Nunes and Salah's numbers are phenomenal. You want them close together. They've got to have a look at it, I think, for me, in that against teams like this, who are going to part the bus. They're not passing out. We can't press them. We can't win it back that way. We've literally got to play our way through these teams. And just common sense is you've got to stretch the pitch and then you've got to have depth and people rotating in between the lines, their headman runs. We saw nothing of the kind of attacking ideas that any coach would want to see overlaps, underlaps, third man runs, rotation, and just a real lack of width and, and peak City. Because Liverpool are using a system similar to what City do, whether you like that or, or or not. But peak City, in what they do, their front five will be Gundogan, De Bruyne, getting them number 10 roles, getting behind, and then stretch it with Grealish and Mares as an example, or before that, Sterling and Mares. And then in the final third, what our wingers getting under the back post and getting the numbers. And that's how we stretch teams and we make it really, the blanket can't cover it. It's just a little bit too easy at the moment, both for opposition teams, blanket to, to cover things. And it makes it even harder then to play through, puts more pressure on your touch, how fluid you are, especially in those first halves. On, on this, Stu, that this is one of the reasons why, you know, we often, um, we're Liverpool supporters, so we've got the right to, we often have a bit of a laugh about Hodgson. But there's something which I think Hodgson does in his setup, and I think it's partially almost. He's got this idea he wants to rest Elise regardless. But I think he's picked his moment to rest Elise really interestingly because Palace aren't that interested in in having anything other than a really strong shell. 
he's picked a really robust midfield, whichever way you want to look at it, because he's got Schlupp one side and he's got Ayu the other, who are absolutely battlers for him. Then within there as well, he's got himself with with Lerma and he's got Hughes. Uh, they're both plugging away for him. The best parts of Palace's pitch is that centre-half partnership. That's excellent. So through this middle of this pitch, especially if those wide players come narrow for Palace and the wide players come narrow for Liverpool, that's becoming, therefore, Palace's greatest strength over the course of the game. And I think that Hodgson sets up for that and that's what he gets because he knows the team is in bad, bad nick. So he gets them to basically fight for their lives uh, and turn it into a series of mini sprawling battles uh, through the middle of the park. Yeah, it's not sophisticated. Um, you know, and it's nothing that we haven't seen before from from a, a Hodgson team and, and many other managers in similar in similar positions over the years. And Liverpool, you know, have they've got better. I think I've been able to break down low block teams. I mean, but this wasn't just a low block team. It had a little bit more to it than that. I think. I think. I think the word shell was good that you said before. They were very compact, but but they moved well together. So when we were on the ball, they were they were very very quick to retreat, to kill the space, um, and then when in on the rare occasions um, that they did counter, they were quite quick to get out, uh, and it surprised me actually that that, that they did you know um, have a relatively relatively for the, for the for this kind of setup high line um and he trusted the back four to get you know to to, to move quickly back uh and to shuttle backwards or forwards and i think he finds this hindsight's a wonderful thing um when you're looking at the the, the team setup and how liverpool would, would count that <laughs> i think I've, I've heard the manager say a lot of the time um prior to games in press conferences that he'll look at you know the last three to five games that a team's been playing and um, when considering a setup. But I don't think that applies here. I don't think it should apply here. I think when you know you know you're gonna go to a, a Hodgson team who was struggling and your, you know, title contenders, you know that his setup is going to be different. He's going to be making changes. He's going to go into his yeah. shell. Um and I don't think it didn't seem to me Liverpool set up accordingly for that. And as I say, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but for me when you're playing against teams like that who are killing the space, you need, therefore, players who are going to be great in tight spaces, whose um, whose touch technique is going to link really well. They're going to be comfortable in those tight spaces. And he said, I'm not getting on this back here. Um, you know, I've done that before, but I just don't think it was necessarily the game for Nunes. Um, because it, because that's all his game. He needs those wide open spaces to run into. The, the frustrating thing is when he did get them on the few occasions he did get them when, when Palace did push up, he was running offside like time and time again. And that's, uh, for me, it's it, it, it's criminal. Like, that, should, that should never happen for a lad of, of his pace. Because did you not think, Stu, they were very clever with it? Because I thought they were very clever with it. I thought there were certain moments where I'd love to know who was calling the line for them because, you know, is it Anderson, is it Gahey? Because I just, I thought they were really clever with the little moments where they'd realise and rather than do what sides would normally do in that instance, which is panic and go backwards, I thought they were clever and went forwards. You know, they went even higher. And I thought that, and that's part of how they kept making it compact. You couldn't quite, you know, I, I agree with you. They weren't a low block. The block just kept moving. And I think that, yeah, that was what they were doing. And I thought they were really clever with it, you know. And that's not to say that Nunez shouldn't still be working it out. And also should have the attitude of, I'm really quick. So I can, I'll can play almost a yard safer because I'm, st- I, you know, if we get it right, I will get away from you. Don't get me wrong. But I thought it was, I thought, you know, their two centre halves, I thought, did a great job. Of, of being clever with it. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, but ultimately, it's still a line. And the way yeah. to counter the line is to bend it on. Um, and for, for a lad of this level of pace and this level of experience, you know, he, he's not... You know, he might be early his second season at Liverpool, but he's been in top flight football for a, for a few years now. Um, and I, I think, you know, if he's going to lead the line for Liverpool in those types of games, you know, he's, he's got to be able to show um, greater level of touch to bring play people and hold the ball and he's going to when the space does present itself he's going to be able to uh, capitalize by Samuel's run better but it's not being said he wasn't the only one you could you could say this about and I think I think you know the other the other big one I thought when I saw the team drop was I, I did think there was a question mark over Gravenberg being picked I don't think he's in great form um and I think he can be he can be a bit loose with the ball 
And this wasn't a game for that. Again, you wanted people who were great in tight spaces, who were going to keep the ball, who were going to keep probing and probing and probing. Um, and I, I thought you could have you, you could have had an argument for either Elliot or or Curtis uh, starting really in that position. Uh, as it turns out, they you know they both get on and and, and they both play, play great and have a um, you know great impact when they do come on. But I think you know from the setup, they were the, they were the two standouts to me before the game. Uh, and I wasn't entirely surprised at how that played out in, in both positions, really. There's just to, just, just to back up what Stu was saying, I think since City, the Nunes thing's been creeping in. He, he he was offside for... We had six onsides against Crystal Palace, and there's a couple that are not in the data for some reason. Uh, the Diaz shot that he heads wide, he's offside, but it's not called as an offside. They get a goal, it's given as a goal kick rather than a, f- a free kick for the offside that one and it's been creeping in since City but he's and there were, there were periods where Manny would annoy me a bit similar reasons that he's got all that pace and such a good brain that I could never quite understand why he pushed the offside so close to the you know so close to the edge when there's almost no need for him to do that and I think Nunes has made some great improvements in this game particularly the defensive areas that the clock wants him to make. I do think that the the area that I don't think there's been that much improvement in is the movement. I do think part of that is when you've got someone that quick and that powerful aerially, when he's played at lower levels, especially for teams in the top of the league, he probably hasn't had to have peak movement because he's not coming up against that centre. I mean, how many teams in the leagues have a centre-back pairing like Crystal Palace when they are where they are in the league? Yeah. Like, that is a really strong centre-back pair. And I have a little bit of sympathy for him in that if Klopp's going to set up this way, the, the whole point of setting up that way is you have a number nine that occupies the two centre-backs so they can't cover the full-backs. And the, and the challenge to the opposition is, well, if you try and take out Gravenberch and Sabozlai and shut that down in the middle, you're going to give us space for Diaz and Salah to hurt you out wide. And one of the issues is neither of them anymore are really dominating people 1v1. And um, if you look at Arsenal last year when they were really paired, it you just couldn't leave Saka and Martinelli alone one v one. Now I think they were riding the peak of a wave at that point, and their forwards have maybe reverted to mean a little bit. And in the early part of this season, and I think that's why the Elliot impact and to an extent Curtis Jones, because we've said before, if you're going to play Diaz, I think you have to play Curtis Jones now, and um, because Diaz just wants to come inside, and you need that player who can go and occupy and keep the ball and rotate around Diaz. And Gravenberch isn't quite that tight. And I do think this is the first time these players have gone through such an intensive period in Gravenberch and Zabozlai. Both of them, to me, look like they need a bit of a break. Uh, I think January probably can't come quick enough for the pair of them. I wouldn't be surprised if they finished the season really strong in the pair. But I think in them wide areas, I don't think Liverpool have got the personnel in their squad to dominate people 1v1. And I think, therefore, we've got to start... The combinations were there on the right earlier in the season. The left-hand side still needs a bit of work. On that, Stu, I thought you got to see the weaknesses of that left-hand side. I thought all three of them. And often this can happen with one. Tends to be the winger, tends to be the most advanced. But I thought all three of them were an island. And that's a bit of a problem because there shouldn't really be the room for three of them to all be an island, if you see what I mean. There should be the idea that there's, there's a bit of interactivity uh, between them. But I thought you got to sort of see for the first 70, 75 minutes or so the worst of all of that uh, before your very eyes, that all three of them just didn't feel as though they had any meaningful relationship. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, it was very disconnected. Um, it's, and it's understandable as well. You know, Costas is, is uh, you know, you know a, a relative newcomer to the start at 11, you know, and, um, and Gravenberg is feeling his way in. I, I don't think we're going to see the best of Gravenberg on next season, to be quite honest. I think he needs a pre-season at the club. Um, yeah, and maybe Klopp will get into him in January if they, if they do a mini pre-season again. Maybe maybe that'll help. But I still don't think we'll we'll see a fully warmed Gravenberg and on what the idea for him, for him is and how he can execute that consistently until next year. Um, anything else for me is a bit of a bonus. Um, and I think I think you know, it's interesting that you said the word individuals. I think Diaz will always play play like that to an extent. I think he's I think he's a great team player in terms of the work that he puts in. He thinks he puts a lot of graft in. I think defensively he's great. But in terms of um in terms of his offensive play, 
he, he almost he all stands apart from the team as a wing, and that's okay. I think that's okay. I, I think some of the best wingers do that. They they almost um, they're an outlet, and they they allowed for a different level of oxygen coming into the team at certain points. You get the ball out to them, and you know you you, you might be a possession based team, but they're the carrier all of a sudden, and they're taking on two or three players, and they're, they're giving you a different um, a different method of attack. By just taking people out the, out of the game, and I think he's always thinking about that. I think he's you know whenever he gets the ball, he's always thinking about how far he can carry it, who can he beat, and can he work it inside? Can he get it onto his right foot? Um, and not necessarily thinking about the dynamics of everything around him in the first split second, which is I think what everybody else is doing. Everything most most players within the team they know the map, they know that the, the, the um what the team pattern is, what the expectation is, where people's movements are going to be, and they're already probably, you know, two seconds ahead of it before the balls even come to them and know what they're going to do. Whereas, I don't think that's the case with Diaz. And I think, as I said, I think that's okay. But when you've got two players behind who, who are also disconnected for different reasons, then, it, you know, it's, it's prone to breaking down completely on that side, which is what we saw. Um, what we also see, Sean is because they don't start as the manager would have wanted them to. We get the twenty minutes before half time, uh, where I think Palace think that there's a way home through pressing Endo, especially when his back's to goal. Um, and that is, you know, they get demonstrable evidence of it, even if they don't get the penalty in there. Uh, they their tails are up. Will Hughes is very prominent in the game. Uh, plays ever so well, actually. Will Hughes and, and and he's one of those Premier League footballers who I would argue is a little bit underrated. Uh, but also he's got the encouragement of what's going on around him. Lerma as well, uh, very much involved from a Crystal Palace point of view. That twenty minutes is it's it's possibly amongst Liverpool's Liverpool's poorest twenty minutes of the whole season. Uh, certainly when there hasn't been obvious mitigation around the number of players they've got on the pitch. They really, really, first and foremost, they don't hurt Palace in any meaningful way. They've got no route through to hurting Palace. And they're just repeatedly finding themselves in situations where they're sitting ducks. Correct. The, there's a lot of focus on what we do with the ball, but I, something this week that keeps bugging me slightly is Liverpool just need to get more serious about defending. And again, it comes down to a bit of the structure and the concentration elements here as well. And that it's okay to have to dog these games, but if you want to get 90 points plus... You need to be, you need to be on an XG below one, don't you? And you look at the nineteen twenty season. Liverpool's XG per game is conceded. I mean, is under one in twenty one twenty two. It's under one, and that means when you're coming up against the top ten, who can hurt you, that can do things to put you under massive pressure. Where you just have to go, we'll cop for that then. Against the bottom ten in the league, they shouldn't be getting sniffs regularly. Whereas you look this week. Crystal Palace full on getting XG as well above that and, and and causing problems and getting goals. And I think it's one thing Liverpool not being fluid and not building the play that well. But you've then got to be able to shut things down and I think smell. Just as Will Hughes in particular smells a bit of blood. There's no harm in Liverpool just covering up and going, okay, we get to half-time. And we were probably all thinking that, that this needs half-time. There's no issue in Liverpool covering up a little bit. And, and decided they just need to, to to stay in for 10, 15 minutes. I thought, first 20 minutes, Palace were there for the taking, as you said. You know, the, the, the front five have a real bad one. But the game-changing moment, which feeds into the, the next 20, is again, last season, Liverpool built with two men at the back and we kept getting hit on the counter-attack. And that's what happens to the big chance with Lerma. I think on XG, that's at the 0.35 chance. The, the Allison save is, is obviously unbelievable. But it all comes from Liverpool losing the ball in an area that you should be okay losing the ball in. But they're just a back two. Simicast can't get back. Virgil can't get across. It's too That's far too easy on the counter-attack. And I think even against the worst sides in the league, um, you know, I think most of us probably watch Villa Arsenal. I don't think Arsenal have got anywhere near as good a squad as Liverpool. I don't think they've got anywhere near as good a first lap as Liverpool. One thing I would say, I do think they're set up better. Uh, especially from a counter-attacking and defence point of view. And City, at their peak, are very, very rigid at having... And it, uh, sometimes it goes against them having centre-backs playing at full-back, but it enables them to have three centre-backs whilst they're building the play. Three proper, pessimistic defenders who've got pace, power and aerial ability. And things like that could have could have taken the game away from Liverpool yesterday. But the other thing is the momentum swinging for Palace after that. 
as you say, Will Hughes just locks on Endo in that period. The crowd gets up, Palace are right on it, and 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 Liverpool aren't able that to cover up properly. I don't think and sort of dog that for fifteen minutes, and you know you really needed half time at 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 at, 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 at that point, didn't you? And and as Palace's intensity got up, I would have just liked to see Liverpool go okay. We drop in, we get our shape. If we have to go four five one for ten, we go four five one for ten, and we cover up. Because this Liverpool team's going to score against everyone. Famous last words, but it is. I, Liverpool being in a title charge and at ninety points, they need to be defensively robust. And I don't think, in terms of the structure and in some of the moments, Liverpool are quite serious enough at the moment. It is a free week with the Anfield rap, Neil Atkinson here. You'll have been hearing these adverts as we've been going through the week across a number of different shows. Listen, we're doing this because we want you to sign up. I'm just going to be very, very obvious about that and straightforward. If you listen to what we do and you like what we do, it'd be fantastic if you could support us, especially as this season feels as though it's one that is going to come alive from a Liverpool perspective. Hopefully, uh, I'm saying that at the time of recording, you never know, that's always the Rick doing this job, but you know, we'll take our chances. I back the boys. Hopefully you do too and hopefully you're able to support us. If you go to the app, Patrick, on or theanfieldrap.com forward slash subscribe there's loads and loads of ways to do that thank you very much to, for listening anyway even if you don't listen to the free stuff it's so appreciated but all of this other work is there for you whenever you need it when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply it's interesting in that context, too, that he makes the half-time change that he makes, whether or not that was a little bit about where Endo is for legs, whether that was entirely about performance, whether it was entirely tactical. Um, you know, the manager will, and shouldn't have to, by the way, be absolutely explicit uh, around his meaning. Uh, but Gomez comes on and he's another central defender to all intents and purposes. So in the context of what Sean's saying there, you know, Liverpool are whacking another central defender on the pitch. Now, he just happens to also be a very, very good footballer. Uh, and capable uh, of getting up and down a flank too. I, th- I thought he came on. I thought he made a fair bit of a difference. I felt like Liverpool, it, it's ironic because obviously they do concede the the slightly mad penalty because the four-minute delay. That's not to say that the way the rules are currently drawn up, it's not a penalty. But I felt Liverpool, like Liverpool just had a little bit more control pretty quickly uh, after Gomez came on. Yeah, he seems to he seems to come on with um, a real sense of purpose, Gomez. Um, and he gave us real wit and a, a, an outlet there um, and I mean it's, it's, I think it's always great to see Gomez when he believes in himself when he knows what his job is and he's feeling good about himself and you can see that yesterday and uh, you know it's not necessarily his favourite position but it's a position he's, he, when he plays like that he's great he's a real asset for us um, and then facilitating obviously Trent to go into the middle uh, and for us to get, get I think gain a, a greater sense of control in the middle of the park which we, we, which was not there at all in the first half, you know, I think we've mentioned Will Hughes already. He was brought in specifically for this game to, to, to beef up that midfield and to be very aggressive and I think to target and out, um, which he did very, very successfully. Um, and, I, you know, you've also got to remember, I'm still getting used to the Premier League. And there's been a few there's been a few occasions where, uh, even by his own admission, I think he's been very honest. Then, though, the, 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 the pace of the game has caught him out once or twice against some teams and the, the physicality of it and um, I think for Liverpool to tighten up in that second half I think it was clear that that was a must we were going to have to do something in midfield and that was the uh, the manager's first move and I think it allowed us to assert a little bit more control use the ball better in midfield uh, but also have a renewed threat on that right side right hand side because because Trent although he's trying to mix up his game he is now Inevitably, just human nature. It's what he's drawn to now because you know it is his favourite position. Even when he's playing right back, he is drawn to to, to come inside and um, uh, uh, and make up the numbers in the centre of the park. And um, so, yeah, I think it gave us. I think it gave us better balance. I think it gave us a bit better security. Um, and then, but it wasn't until I think the next changes before we really got a foothold in the, in the game. And by the way, you know, I said earlier on about. Um, I think hindsight, as I said, was a wonderful thing in terms of the the, the start lineup, and maybe the manager didn't get that entirely right yesterday. But I, he was he was brilliant with his subs. I mean, his in-game management was was absolutely superb. It's, it started with this one. 
yeah, I mean it's 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 notable, Sean. You know the manager he, he does his first one. Uh, I think he's sensible with drawing Kwanzaa when he does. Uh, I think there's a little bit on Canate's performance because you never know what you're going to get from a sub. It's worth saying that you can get them all. You can you know you could be nailing your subs, but they just don't play that well. It's hard to come on as a substitute in a game, but Gomez, Gakpo, Jones, and especially Elliot all make it look quite easy to come on in a game. Uh, Elliot. Obviously, the, the 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 headline grabber there, but the other the others also I think play play an important role, and they also help the manager do what he wants to do. And the other thing they also allow him to do is to is to change the shape. Yes, the life of a manager. Are you having a conversation with your coach and staff about subbing Kwanzaa and bringing Canarte on, and then that happens? As, literally, as you've got the guy getting his <laughs> taping up and having his final drink to try and get him on the pitch. Um, Stu's dead right; he nails it, and I think. The manager, I think, probably justifiably has had a little bit of criticism about how he's used subs in the past. He might have a look at the squad and say, well, look, I've, I feel like I've got a better squad now. I feel like I've got more options now. But I think a lot of managers are not copping on to the five subs and the impact of this. I've said before, I think, top, not that I'm any form of rugby fan, but top rugby union coaches would be swapping like the forwards at half-time, just going right week. We, we just have an intensity and a pace and all of you are regimented in what we do and as long as you're all much of a muchness in terms of ability levels we shouldn't see that big a drop off and it's something football has still got ingrained in a way that you're a starter and then you've got to be gutted that you're not on when very few players nowadays are going to get the 90 minutes anyway it's a, it's a game of minutes and this really helps clock with his substitute because Nunes comes on against Newcastle he's the hero Harvey Elliott comes on, he's the hero. So if you want to go home on the bus with your win bonus, your goal bonus, being being the big hitter on that day, it does it doesn't mean you can't do it by not starting. So I do think the manager deserves a lot of credit for the half time subs, the way that he's using the substitutes at the moment. I think the whole group manager down deserve a lot of credit because there's no one sulking or anything like that. Um, I'd like my family to get a lot of credit because since we high-fived all the players, we've won three games. So um, my two kids reckon, reckon, you know, if there's any league title medals going up, my two do want them uh, later in the campaign. But I think also the tactical decisions that he makes in the second half also deserve a lot of credit. He said He's very open in his post-match press conference where he says we felt like we needed to keep fiddling with it a bit. And he says we we basically goes four four two and says you wanted to play Elliot off Salah in the ten roll, move gap him to the right. We had Diaz and then we asked Diaz to go and play more centrally and drift inside. And I think that Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott just deserve masses of credit in that having football ability is one thing. Being able to come on in a situation like that and show the mixture of calmness and urgency. I mean, there's top senior players that don't have that. And I think the journey that Jones and Elliot have been on is really positive in that regard, and both of them in very different ways. Which is what Liverpool need. And you, you see in the equaliser just how calm and amazing Curtis Jones is in that in that sitting. Well, because of what Elliot does, I think a lot of Curtis Jones will have to go under the radar. In that, all of a sudden, this, how much better does Diaz look in my view? Yeah, when he has Curtis Jones in and around him. And I do think if you're playing Gapro on the left, I would play Gravenberch. If you're going to play Diaz on the left, I would just play Curtis Jones fitness and injury permitting. I think the cleverest thing that Harvey Elliott does, and, and, and maybe it's, it's not a decision from it, maybe he just naturally drifts out there perhaps, but his decision in the 10, the worst thing that you get with young players is when you tell them to play in the 10, they go and stand where you put the 10 on a tactics board, and that's not where you want them. Like, I don't want you locking onto the holding in the field play and getting lost in there. Your job is to go and find the space and whether that's running over the top, whether that's dropping wide, whether that's dropping its pockets, that's the role. Yes, defensively we needed to do stuff, but with it, go and drop some grenades. And his overload on the right-hand side is absolutely phenomenal. Yes, Joe Gomez plays fantastically well in that period. Cody Gapko comes into it really well with all his ability in between the lines. Salah starts cottoning up as well, and then creates just the worst overload of all overloads, Palace. But even though Palace have 10 minutes, what annoys me is that's what Liverpool sh- should be doing, in my view, consistently against everyone with 11 men. And that's what I think we've been lacking a little bit with this shape and with this system, that it, it, there hasn't been that combination and that kind of element of rotation. 
And I think that Harvey's absolutely sensational when he comes out. I don't like the past data stuff. I don't like past success rates and things like that because what if he just passes back to the goalie 30 times and everyone goes, oh, we got 100% pass completion rate. Well, you know, that's no good to anyone. But when you watch it with your eyes and then see that he was able to hit, you know, he wasn't doing that, was he was being progressive with his passing. And I think if Harvey Elliott's going to have the kind of career he wants at Liverpool, the thing that he's missing is numbers. And that might sound very harsh. But if you're going to play in a top club and hold them kind of the Bruyne roles, the Gundogan roles, you've got to hit numbers. And he hasn't got pace. He hasn't got power. So he's got to be at an Erdegaard level. And I think, look, he's nowhere near this level and he'll have a hell of a career if he gets halfway. But Bernardo Silva needs to be his idol. Uh, I know internally it's Mo Salah, but Bernardo Silva doesn't have pace. He doesn't have power. He's a diminutive left-footed player who can be a, you know, a bit ratty, if you will. But he's extremely clever, extremely clever, and he knows where to hurt teams. And he's got the. I think Harvey Elliott's probably got the technical ability to hurt, but but he needs to hit regularity of numbers now in terms of assisting goals. That is that is the next challenge for him. And I'm a massive Harvey Elliott fan. That's why Dan's not on the show today because I've yeah. Harvey, I've literally got me Harvey Elliott face mask down here to rub Dan's nose in it, but he, he couldn't have that. So fair play. Yeah, I, I think he's. Um... It's interesting that that, that you, you you mentioned um, Bernardo there. Uh, to be honest, in my head, particularly how how Klopp integrated Elias into the midfield uh, initially, but I think we're seeing a little bit more of him in more forward areas now. Um, but his first move to get him into into the central three, I, I my view was he needs to be looking at Modric. I, I thought, you know, in terms of that that physical profile that you were talking about there, uh, Sean, it was Modric was my, was my go-to in terms of seeing a career path for him. And, you know, Modric started out, out, out wide and it was really quite a... It was, I think it was quite a surprise to see his development um, when, once he was moved into a central area uh, at Spurs. And then, his, you know, his career just absolutely took off. But he's an, he was an absolute warrior. Uh, physically Modric you know he's um, he, as you say he's, he's not particularly quick as you said about Bernardo um, he's not big um, but you know he still allies a, 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 a huge amount of physical endurance and um, the power alongside that that phenomenal technique that he's got and I think they're the attributes whether it be a Bernardo or a Modric I think just depends really where, where Klopp precisely sees his end game there, whether it's a little bit deeper or whether it's in that final third. Um, but I think you know, there's no reason, as we pointed out there, that despite not having certain attributes physically, there's still no reason why uh, Harvey Ellis can't go on and have a really, really up career at the very pinnacle of the game. Um, if he was, as you said, to make those kind of players his hero. Um, and to, and to study them and to, to mould this game around them. You, you know, it's, it's really, for me, whenever you talk about a Liverpool player, the, the first thing that I always I always want, want to know is whether they've got a brain, you know, whether they've got it upstairs. And, and, and Elias does. He's a really, really clever player. And you, we've only ever seen that that intelligence grow as well uh, in his time at the club. So, yeah, I think, you know, really exciting for him. But it's, we've got to make sure that, that him and Jones... That we continue to look after them and, and ensure that there is a, a, a there's a pathway as long as they deserve it uh, into the team. And I, I think I think it's time now this season that Elliot does get a few starts. I think he's more than earned it. His, his cameos off the bench have been consistent; they've been tremendous. And I, I think you know if he was if he was on the starting if he was in the starting eleven against United next week, I don't think anyone could have too many arguments really. Um, uh, but I certainly think it's got to be him or Jones. I I, th- I think there's a massive. I don't I don't think the manager's far away from being forced into four four two. You look at Robertson and Simicast and what suits their attributes. You look at the way Diaz now's coming inside a lot and he's one v one dribbling has fallen off a bit of cliff. To, you look at how successful we've been when Trent and Gomez have gone on the right side overlaps down that side. You think of whoever you play in that position, whether it be Soboslai, Salah, Elliot, they would all probably want someone getting on the overlap because I think all three of them would prefer to be cutting in and sort of outside in from that area. And when you think of where the Gakpo, Jota, Nunes, and I think Salah now 
possibly want to play. I think they would all like to play in a front two with that bit of freedom. Um, we've never seen much of Nunes and Jota against weaker sides at home. That could either be a car crash of, of chaos, potentially, or could be something really, really, really problematic besides coming up against them. Cody Gakpo would like to probably play off someone. And I think with Harvey Elliott, if you look at Erdegaard, Erdegaard started to take his game up another level when he had some security behind him and he had three rulers in front of him. Um, look, very few players have the technical ability of Coutinho, but Coutinho needed a bit of security behind it and ideally two or three runners in front of him. And I think the problem you've got with Harvey Elliott is if you put him in midfield, you can get lost in the midfield battle with your will he uses and people like that. And if you play him in a front three, he hasn't got that pace and power and he just hasn't got the people to combine with in that way. When you look at this squad, I do feel that four four two might be something that other side of Christmas. You might be, we're starting to see the manager go to it as his go to fix at the moment, and there just comes a time sometimes where he might go. Do you know what? Like maybe I start with this. Um, even Curtis Jones could play in a double pivot. He can play in that left side midfield role, no problem whatsoever. But again, you'd need Robertson and Simakas getting around the back of them really. And I, th- I think if Elliott is gonna play more of a role. I do think Liverpool would have to be more 4-4-2 in kind of setup, Similar to what you've seen yesterday against Palace. There is probably a perfect set of circumstances, aren't they? Especially against Tardin, like when more gaps start to open and Elliot can kind of expose them in that regard. But I- I'd be quite keen for Liverpool against the... Um... I mean, to be honest, if we'd have had a Champions League game on Wednesday night, there was a dead rubber. I would have had no issue with Klopp having a look at that for a half with some of the big guns. But with it being a away game, with it being Thursday night and with the intensity of this month, you just can't have a look at it. I wonder whether that's something against weaker sides at home, the other side of Christmas, that you, you might have a little look at. I, I think Salah off Nunes or Salah off Jota up front as well. With yeah. other players doing the donkey work out wide would be something of value. Yeah, I think, I think it's an interesting one for the idea of what he does away at Burnley. Uh, it may well be then. It wouldn't surprise me if in either of the next two he starts it. Um, decide to sort of shake one up and and beg a question uh, in there as well. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me, but I think it's it does seem to be sort of arcing that way. Just on the Jones aspect, Stu, to sort of to end it, I, I, you know, I think that there is this. I think he does help make people make more sense on that left hand side. I think he's better for Diaz. I think he's better for whoever it is in, in midfield inside them. I think he's better uh, for Shimakas. And it sort of for me, it chimes into your your points around Gravenberg maybe needing a bit of pre-season uh, care and attention because Jones has been for years schooled in what it is the manager wants from someone who plays in a midfield role there for Liverpool. And, you know, again, I thought you got to see it, the calm, as Sean refers to, where if Salah doesn't score, it's a penalty uh, and quite possibly a red card for Joel Ward uh, because he absolutely sides him down. He's already on a yellow. Uh, Salah does Joel Ward, I think, a massive favour there when, he, when it ends up in the back of the net. But within all of that, later on you saw it as well but Jones I think he's the one who may well get the games against Manchester United and Arsenal well it, it would certainly make probably it probably be the easiest call out of the two out of him and Elliot just simply because um, from a balanced point of view and, and where his, his natural game gravitates to and I think he as has been already said on the show he he um, I think it makes more sense when Diaz is playing Diaz is playing um, you know as a pair um, that seems to work. But I also think that uh, with Jones, I think, listen, Jones Jones can have his critics from time to time because I, I, I think largely quite unfairly, um, he, he's, he, he's had a few injuries in his career and periods out of the team. And when he comes back into the team after periods out, I think it takes him a, a, a few games to get his legs again. And we saw the we saw the 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 output he was capable of when he had a consistent run last year. And uh, we we were forced to to give him that consistent run in the second half of of uh, the season. And it, I mean, my word, did he did he grab that opportunity? Um, and it just showed how what a threat and what a what a what a really good what a really good intelligent player um, he can be when given that that consistent run. I also think I think he's one of these players because he's so intelligent. I think he's. I think he's a facilitator, not in the same way that the old midfield was, where they did, did a lot of the dog work. I think he's a facilitator in terms of his movements and the way he keeps his, his passing simple. And when I say simple, I don't mean easy. I mean he keeps it simple within 
the known mechanics of the team, he, he, you know, the, the known movements within the team, he enables that flow. He's really, really good. I think Wijnaldum was very good at that as well. Um, knowing uh, where everybody is supposed to be on the pitch, know how knows how to make sense of it all, uh, sees the big picture, uh, and doesn't do it, you know the flashy things. If ironically, I think a lot of the time Jones's critics would like to see more of the flashy things from him in terms of you know twenty-five yard shots and all this because of the way he was in the youth team. But actually, he's been moulded into a much more selfless uh, player now and a modern midfielder who. His job is to make everything else make sense. That's his job. And if he can if he can add goals to his game, which we've seen snippets of as well now at the start of the season, uh, with with late runs into the box, if he can add that as well, we you know, we've got a hell of a player on our hands and a real great squad option there who who I think will always be in and around the first eleven if fit. I'm similarities with Grealish in that when things aren't going yeah. for City. There's a big criticism of his numbers and hundred million pound and that kind of thing. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if when Pep leaves Man City says it's one of the best hundred million pounds he's ever spent. Because look at the record of them since he went in then, the role that he plays in facilitating everything else. And like you say, there's all even decades ago, there were players that become the whipping boys, if you like, when things aren't going well and when things are going well, what they do outside of the club maybe goes a bit uh, unrespected, possibly disrespected, maybe not seen, not as obvious. And, you know, at times I think when Alden's reputation is better since he left than at times when it was when he was here. Yeah. In some people's mind. And I think with Curtis Jones, I do think that he's not, I think you're dead right in everything you said there, Stu. And, and I think you can, that left side at the back end of the last year never looked better than when he was on that left side even a fixture list permitting, to be fair. And I think this season, that left side has never looked better than when he's in there, and that just can't be a coincidence. Last thing, though, Sean, uh, just to absolutely sum it up, um, we said it needs to be nine points if they've got ambitions, and they've got nine points. I think there's a couple of interesting things. I've long felt this manager wishes, at least every now and again, they would do it a bit easier. I think one of his notes from the week might well be, lads, this turned into three slogs. This turned into three 90, 100-minute games where we need to be at it for 100 minutes. You know, they, they get they get eight minutes of respite against Sheffield United. And apart from that, every game is live, uh, absolutely live until the final whistle and intense around that as well. And coming up with opponents who are on their own, bit of a funny journey, Fulham, finding some feet under silver, Sheffield United, the shift of manager, Palace almost, you know, looking to regain some self-respect after being booed off the previous match against Bournemouth and the manager getting himself into a bit of trouble with his mouth, which we've seen in the past. You know, it seems to me like we've ended up in 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 these battles. And whilst, you know, we've been quite critical on this show, I think you can pull the performance apart a little bit. And you can also say, you know, they haven't played well in any of the three and sometimes there's a sting in the tail. Arsenal play better against Villa, arguably, than Liverpool do against Crystal Palace. Uh, but Arsenal dragged themselves over the line in a 4-3 against Luton where they got themselves into trouble and they're therefore a bit knackered. Villa went through, obviously, a really intense one against City. City themselves have been in an intense one against Villa. They should be fine against Luton. We're still recording this before then. But my point is that is that we said that this was about results. We said that they had to go and show that they could beat these sides, that they could put them to the sword. They haven't so much put them to the sword as they have put them to the dining table knife. I think we'd like more sword, but they will be coming out feeling like this has been, you know, it's 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 three massive wins, three massive emotional wins, three exhausting and draining wins, but crucially, it's three wins and the top of the league. Yeah, it's absolutely huge. I mean, I don't know about your WhatsApp groups. Every message I got in mind was... How are we top of the league in, in a foot in in a strange way? And it also feels like there's so much to come from this group. If they can bloody stay there, and you get the feeling, or you'd like to think injuries aside, touch and wood, that this Liverpool squad's only going to get better the longer they spend together, as long as they don't burn out. And that's where I think the Europa League's been massively helpful in that so many players in this squad have contributed positively, and so many players that have had game time in the Europa League have contributed positively. That's something that. I don't think gets highlighted enough about Arsenal last year. Yeah, some people thought the Europa League would hinder them, and I don't think it did. And they maybe went to the well too often second half of the season and, and run out of legs a little bit, and, and mentality, they get fried. Huge compliments to Liverpool. Look, they, they go in and they get out, and I think away games in the Premier League are just not easy. And you forget, even with the 1920 side, they're not easy. 
Um, Aston Villa back then weren't the Aston Villa are now, and we weren't great against them for an hour in the famous 2-1 recovery that day. Sheffield United away, we weren't particularly great that year either, albeit as strong as Sheffield United and the one we've come up against. So they, they deserve tons of applause. It's, uh, it's Kobe's favourite phrase, isn't it, at the same time? And it's, it's totally fine to say this has been really tough. Liverpool have done amazing to get the points on the board. But I think it's always about what happens next in that the front five probably aren't where you'd want them to be. If you're thinking Gravenberg, Shabazzlai, Salah, Nunes, Diaz, and Gapo looks like he's maybe just coming into a bit of form. Harvey Elliott, as we referenced, in centre midfield, you'd be pretty keen to get a few bodies back in there soon, Curtis Jones and McAllister in particular. And and Trent looks like he's in a bit of form now. But at centre-back with no matter, it, it's huge now for Gomez and Canati to really step up when you really need them. So I, 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 I that's why I'm so keen for Liverpool, just to be really robust defensively. I know, I know the defensive record actually looks really good when you look at it. I, I, ju- I just think there's room for improve for Liverpool there as well. And this Liverpool side's just got so much ammunition. You just can't see anyone touching wood again. You just can't see anyone shutting them out. Very true. I, I think, you know, we're, 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 we find ourselves top of the league and, you know, I was talking last night with with a few mates and I think, I, I think part of, yeah, obviously the hairs on your arms stand up when you see yourselves top of the league and, and you, you see the potential within the team, but... For for a little bit more confidence there, um, I think you know we do need to start stringing two or three performances together. But I, I also I think that we we need to see um, I think a little bit of consistency up top. Now um, I think you know we Liverpool have got great options, fantastic. You know and and, and you know it, it's important that we use them. But I also think it's important that you, you know you just mentioned there, Sean, that you think Gakpo's coming into a little bit of form. I think the same. I think the same. I think his improvements, his performances off the bench have been notably better uh, of late, and I think now he's got to be pushing for a start up front um, because again, you know, he's he's a no known. He's a, there's a level of certainty, you know, most of the time with, with, with Gakpo that what he can and can't do, what he's going to give you. And what he is going to give you, he's going to be again. What I mentioned before about Jones is, you know, he's going to be a facilitator. He's going to hopefully bring others into play in in, in the forward areas. I think you know he's going to get the best out of Diaz and Salah. Um, but also, I think you know we we saw we're about to go into the Man United game next week, and you know his performance against them at home last year was was tremendous. Um, and I, I think I think this will be a game to to, to throw him back in. Okay, excellent stuff. Thanks a lot to Stu. Thanks to Sean. It's been the review. Uh, we do. You've heard three of them this week. If you've been enjoying the three, the free week, we do them after every game. We'll even do one after Union, uh, which I think we might learn a thing or two about a couple of younger players. Looking forward to that. But obviously, the big ones on the horizon: Manchester United, West Ham United in the League Cup, lest we forget. Uh, then moving on to Arsenal, then Burnley, then Newcastle. Liverpool have just set this season up absolutely brilliant. Sports Social Podcast Network.